Good afternoon, Metro Augusta. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the January 20th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. Today's show is brought to you by my consulting firm, Janice Allen Jackson and Associates. You can learn more about me and the services that we provide at www.janiceallenjackson.weebly.com. Well, we all know that today is Inauguration Day in our nation's capital of Washington, D.C., I know that many of you are in front of your television sets and your computers watching this historic event take place. And I also hope that you found a little time to sneak away from that and listen to local matters. I also want you to know that if you have been watching the young woman, Andrea Hall, who is leading the Pledge of Allegiance is someone that I have known for over 28 years. We started work with the city of Albany on the same day in January of 1993. At that time, I was the first female assistant city manager, and she was the first female firefighter in Albany. At that time, we bonded over our non-traditional roles. But as you know, things go. We lost touch over the years. But I am just extraordinarily proud of her for being selected for this honor uh, and knowing how far that she has come from that day as a teenager when she went to work in the Albany Fire Department. Since that time, she has moved on to South Fulton, Georgia. That, if in case you didn't know, is one of the newly created cities in Georgia. Uh, she is the first black female captain in that fire department. And just to put this in perspective for you, I don't know what the current numbers are, uh, but a few years ago, I read some stats that said that fire captain was one of the positions most dominated by white males in this entire country. At that time, I think about 94% of all fire captains were white males. I think that number is probably lower than the 94% now. Uh, but to give you an idea of those responsibilities, the captain is the, the person in charge of the shift and in charge of the station in that shift. So in some departments, you're just in charge of that group there with you. In other departments, you are in charge of the entire station, every shift in that station. It just kind of depends on how it's structured. Uh, but that is a supervisory role. Uh, that is the person that is in charge of a fire scene. Uh, anytime the group gets there, uh, your truck gets there, the captain is in charge until a higher level officer arrives. Uh, so it may be that later your battalion chief comes or a deputy chief or someone higher up in the hierarchy in your department. But that captain is in charge until those folks arrive. So that is a critical role in any fire department to be a captain. So I am just extraordinarily proud of her and having reached that pinnacle of success. And trust me, um, sometimes the guys in the station don't make it easy for you. Many times they're not interested in having a woman there at all, uh, more or less having a woman there who is in charge of them. So I'm uh, very proud of Andrea or Menard, as we call her most of the time, uh, in having achieved that uh, accomplishment of being a captain and also being uh, a part of the inaugural program.
Also, as part of the inaugural program, of course, President Biden will give his America United address. Uh, he has chosen to name it that, and I think that is extremely consistent with the way he has approached his uh, run for the presidency, as well as the time after it was determined that he was president-elect. On one hand, it would seem like the country has nowhere to go but up. But on the other hand, he is taking over when we are the most divided we have ever been, at least during my lifetime. This time period, this entire term, uh, but this first year in particular, will test Biden's skills as a healer as well as as a policymaker. After striving to be president since the 1988 campaign, he assumes office at what might be the worst time ever. Typically, we think about tough times bringing people together. Uh, when people might fight and fuss, when things are going well, when things are going poorly, it usually means that that is time for people to come together, to work together, uh, to set goals and to work toward those goals in an earnest fashion. Uh, fortunately, what we have seen in Washington and frankly throughout the country is an unwillingness to do that. So I think the first challenge for President Biden is to set a new tone. Uh, I don't know, quite frankly, how successful that will be. And there are times when first uh, the leader tries to set a new tone. And if it becomes apparent that that is not going to work, that that approach is not going to be accepted by everyone that he has to deal with, the next step for that leader to do is say, okay, well, I'm sorry. I tried to work with you. I can't do, can't get done what I need to get done this way. I'm just going to have to get it done through brute strength, uh, which is to say he's going to have to capitalize on the votes that he does have, uh, the Democratic majority in the House of Representatives, as well as uh, what will be a majority in the Senate. Uh, once uh, the vice president casts her vote, uh, he just may have to uh, use those votes and uh, spend less time trying to gain consensus as it is just moving forward as best he can to get the votes in place. Um, we also know that some votes in the Senate will require a two thirds majority. And that uh, will not make it any easier either. So uh, he has a lot of issues. He and the vice president have a lot of issues riding here. Uh, and we'll have to hope that they can make the best in terms of policy uh, that they can to really make some differences. Uh, first, as I said, uh, he's going to have to be a healer and a policymaker. Uh, from the healing standpoint, it's a matter of trying to keep your eyes on the prize on the policymaking standpoint, uh, he's released over the last few days, he's released some of his policy proposals uh, that will dictate his approach during his first few weeks in office. Uh, first, uh, one of the most significant things I think he's done, and this is not directly related to the pandemic, uh, but it is just extremely important. Uh, part of his proposal is a higher minimum wage. He wants to see a federal minimum wage raised to $15 per hour from the current level of $7.25 per hour. 
Many cities and states have already taken action to raise the minimum wages to that level, but many have not. Uh, Our Georgia and I believe South Carolina, a neighboring state, neither one have. Um, I won't be surprised if there's going to be a compromise to this. Uh, As I talked several months ago, as we were talking about the commission seats, and one of the things I mentioned was many times proposals get thrown out, but they have to have the support of those uh, working with them in order to get those things passed. So it may be that President Biden proposes the $15, but it comes back at being 10, uh, for instance. Uh, it may also be that uh, it's implemented in stages. I think the last time there was an increase to the minimum wage, it was in, uh, implemented in three different phases. So uh, there's several different ways that Congress can approach this uh, with the end goal of increasing wages. One of the other things to think about is if, and this is just basic economics, if it is determined that the lowest level jobs are worth $15, what employers have to then think is what are the jobs above them? Those currently, those jobs that you know pay $15 or so an hour, will they have to increase the wages of those jobs as well in order to ensure that Uh, the pay scales adequately reflect the skills, abilities, and difficulties of those particular jobs. So unfortunately, it's not a simple uh, sort of thing in order to raise the minimum wage. Everybody knows it needs to be raised. In fact, even when I think about teenagers, a lot of times people will say, well, you know, minimum wage jobs, those are just for kids. But even for the kids, the 725 isn't enough because when you factor in the cost of transportation to get to work, if you're only making 725, it's almost not worth uh, what it costs to get there. Let's say if you're operating a vehicle, you've got to purchase gas, insurance, oil changes, you know, tire rotations and tire replacements and all those sorts of things. Those are very expensive If you're using Uber or if you are asking a friend to give you a ride, I mean, you're having to pay for those things. And that takes a substantial chunk out of your paycheck just to get to work. So we understand that that 725 is way too low. uh, But don't be surprised that as uh, the discussion gets serious about raising the minimum wage, those factors about how it affects other workers, higher skill workers, uh, because those, trust me, those higher skill workers are going to want to ask for a raise. They said, you know, if right now my job is worth 20% or 30% more than the minimum wage person, if they go to 15, they should, those higher skill workers are going to think that they should make 20 or 30% above the 15, $15 an hour. So just want everybody to keep that in mind. That's many times where the discussion goes. Uh, when uh, pay raises are proposed. For your information, the last time the federal minimum wage was raised was July of 2009, when it went from $6.55 to $7.25. So we're looking at 12 years of the same minimum wage. So yes, um, if I were voting, I would certainly advocate for a change. Speaking of transportation, President Biden would like to fund public transit as well. In his plan, there's approximately $20 billion for public transit agencies that have seen ridership and fare revenue plummet due to the virus outbreak. Uh, Think about it. 
There are people who are no longer working at all because of COVID. Uh, They've been laid off. And on the other hand, there are people who are afraid to ride public transit because of the fear of being in enclosed spaces with strangers. So transit revenues are down pretty substantially. I am sure that uh, the president is looking at this as a way to uh, bolster those agencies until ridership goes back up, which quite uh, possibly could be a very, very long time. Also, uh, there are other initiatives in the $1.9 trillion proposal put forth by uh, President Biden. The plan also includes $20 billion for a national vaccine program that will work with state, local, and tribal governments to set up community vaccination centers and deploy mobile vaccine services to remote regions of the country. Expanded testing capacity is key to the administration's goal to safely reopening schools for in-person learning, and the plan would allocate $50 billion to expand testing lab capacity, purchase rapid tests, and to help schools and local governments implement regular testing protocols. Expanded testing will ensure that schools can implement regular testing to support safe reopening and that vulnerable settings like prisons and long-term care facilities can regularly test their populations and that any American can get a test for free when they need one. That, again, is the goal of the plan. Uh, Once it gets through Congress and everybody gets their hands on it, it may look a lot different from what is now being proposed But these are the things that he is putting on the table now. In addition to those things, Biden's proposal would provide $130 billion to assist schools in reopening or facilitating remote learning. Schools should use the money for numerous types of improvements, such as reducing class size or modifying classrooms to accommodate social distancing protocols, improving ventilation systems, or purchasing personal protective equipment. Additionally, the plan also includes funding to hire 100,000 public health workers who would initially work on vaccine outreach or contact tracing in local communities. The plan envisions that those workers could later transition into other community health roles. I would like to talk about the importance of having people address public health Uh, One of the reasons that you see health disparities between people of color and those of majority populations is the access to care, the knowledge of care and what needs to happen in order to help yourself. Uh, Some of the more progressive state and local government organizations have, in fact, had health educators at work for years. Those health educators have worked directly with uh, churches and other community-based organizations uh, to help people learn what it takes, uh, what to eat, how to exercise, uh, how to advocate with, for yourself in a physician's office, just all of those things that you need to know to take better care of yourself so that you can remain healthier long term. Another significant aspect of Biden's proposal is to fund the expansion of paid sick leave. We know that many people work on jobs where sick leave does not come with the package. That is not a fringe benefit. So in that case, 
if you are working on a job where if you don't go to work, you don't get paid, that many times forces people into a position where they feel like they have to go to work, even though they aren't feeling well. And even though they may make their co-worker sick, they just don't feel like they can stay at home because they can't afford to. So the president is proposing uh, that Congress reinstate provisions of earlier relief legislation that will require employers to offer 14 weeks of emergency paid sick leave through September of this year. The administration will also seek to eliminate exemptions for employers with more than 500 employees or less than 50 employees. By closing that loophole, Biden's team estimates that up to 106 million more workers could have access to paid sick leave. So in terms of the senators elect, uh, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock and Alex Padilla of California, who was appointed to replace uh, then Senator Kamala Harris, we understand that they will actually be sworn in in the late afternoon today by Vice President Kamala Harris. As you know, the election, the runoff election was completed on January 5th. By January 6th or so, we knew clearly who the winners were, but the local offices, the local boards of elections have to go through a certification process of those votes. And then they send those results into the Georgia Secretary of State's office. So that happened on yesterday, Tuesday. And we anticipate that um, Ossoff and Warnock will be therefore sworn in a late afternoon today by the vice president. I know that there is a great deal of excitement in the air around this historic transition. Uh, obviously, we've talked about the significance of having a woman as the vice president for the first time in history. Uh, this feels very similar to me to what many felt in 2009 when President Barack Obama was sworn in for his first term. Though I am not a big fan of pomp and circumstance, I actually watched the inauguration in 2009. In fact, I think that was probably the only time I have ever sat there for an entire inauguration. Uh, it just happened on that day that in Charlotte, we had a little snow and ice. It wasn't a huge amount. We probably could have gone to work. Uh, but the county manager made the decision that our county offices would be closed. So that gave all of us an opportunity to stay at home, turn on the television and watch that inauguration. As I referenced earlier, I'm not a big fan of pomp and circumstance. Uh, as proof of that, you have to realize that I am the person who skipped my graduate school graduation and told them to mail the diploma to me instead. Uh, the diploma went into the mailbox and then from the mailbox, it went into a drawer. And I'm not sure that I ever pulled it out after that. Uh, so those sorts of things just don't excite me. But I was excited enough in 2009, January of 2009, that I actually sat there and watched an inaugural uh, having said that, I know that many of you, uh, particular uh, ladies who are members of the various sororities, Divine Nine organizations. Uh, many of uh, you are wearing your chucks and your pearls in acknowledgement of 
uh, Vice President Harris's signature fashion. Um, but I'll ask you, please, after today, uh, you realize how tough that job is. And I want us to please give them the time and the space to operate. Uh, we need to be patient uh, with them, giving all, given all that they are up against. You look at the polarized nature of Washington specifically and our country generally, and you realize that they have an uphill climb. Uh, President Obama came in Seminole in a time where his back was up against the wall. And now President Biden's back is up against the wall, too. Neither one of them had the luxury of deciding which policy issues would be highest on their agendas. President Obama had no choice but to address the faltering economy because at that time uh, we were still in the midst of a very deep recession. We had a faltering economy uh, and President Biden is coming in to deal with a pandemic that has killed over 400,000 people. Uh, so these are very difficult times and their options are limited. I know over the years, many have uh, looked back on President Obama's term and uh, criticized his legacy from the standpoint that they said that he did not address a number of things that in particular would have been helpful to people of color. But what you have to also realize, A, he did not necessarily have a Congress that was willing to cooperate with him. Thing one, thing two is that there are so many pressing issues. Uh, and we were at a point in 2009 where um, we didn't know if the country was going to su survive that recession. So uh, the economy took precedence over anything else. You'll also remember that there was, uh, we were under threat of Osama bin Laden that was uh, threatening democracy throughout the world. Uh, so there were some very, very high priorities that were uh, taking the president's time and energy at that, that, that time. Uh, similarly, at this time, there's some very high priorities, um, A, curtailing those deaths that are going to uh, occupy uh, President Biden's time, uh, as well as uh, not just him, but the other members of his cabinet. Having said all that, guess what? Local Matters is going to get back to more local topics starting next week. Um, I know I made a detour. I hope also you understand that many of the things that happen at the federal level also affect what happens at the local level. Uh, one of the reasons I thought it was important that I go through some of President Biden's policy proposals is that you see how it impacts us here on the local level in terms of individual quality of life, as well as uh, organizational priorities, as we talked about things that will happen at the school system level, hopefully, as well as local governments in terms of funding, transit, and some of those other issues. So having said that, let's look out for some good shows coming up over the next month or so. Uh, I would love, uh, first off, for you to join us next week. Uh, I'm going to have Mr. Galen Tootle, who is a staff member at Walton Options. He is going to talk about some quality of life issues for individuals with disabilities. They are sometimes uh, ignored members, quite frankly, of our society, but they have some very specific needs and they have some very specific contributions that they can make. Uh, so he's going to join us next week to talk about those. That again is Galen Tootle from Walton Options, uh, discussing issues related to individuals with disabilities. 
I'm also going to try to get someone in to talk about the COVID vaccine uh, precautions that need to be taken. Uh, one of my regular listeners contacted me and said, hey, you know, we need COVID updates. And uh, there's a lot of uh, things that people could be doing to better protect themselves and others. Uh, so we're going to talk about that in one of our upcoming shows. In another upcoming show, we will talk about the potential breakup of the Augusta Judicial Circuit. Uh, since the last time I mentioned this on the show, the Augusta Commission voted unanimously to support the proposal put forth by Columbia County to break up that circuit. Uh, so we'll talk about the implications of that and where that is in the process. I do know that one of the local senators did introduce that legislation already. I understand uh, that it could go into effect as early as this summer, uh, but we'll just sort of talk through all of that so we understand what that means for us. Also, I had mentioned that it is almost time to go back to the polls again. Uh, March 16th, uh, there will be a review, an opportunity to express your uh, support for uh, SPLOST 8, uh, the next SPLOST referendum. Uh, one of the items listed on there is for the James Brown Arena. Uh, I'll have someone come in and talk to us about the arena, uh, what this amount of money will do how much more money might be needed and why they feel like it's important that uh, we upgrade the James Brown arena and the uh, complex there. So uh, lots of informative topics coming up. As always, I want to inform you. I know sometimes it feels like I'm bombarding you with information. On the other hand, you do need to have good information. So I'm glad that you are with me for the ride. As always, I encourage you, if there's a show that you missed, uh, please go back and pick that show up. They're all available on my website. If you go to JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com, uh, there is a Local Matters tab. And every show I've done is there. Uh, many of my shows are uh, evergreen, what I call evergreen, which means that the information is still good and useful. It's not like a news show where all of the information sort of gets outdated. Um, some of the items are new. Some of them are information. So please uh, go there anytime there's something that you missed or you need to hear it over again. It's all going to be there. Uh, th so you can go back and listen to those shows uh, to catch up uh, as well as to get a better understanding of the particular issues that we're discussing. And there is one upcoming community event that I would love to make you aware of. It is the Rotary Club of Augusta Annual High School Speech Contest. I have had the privilege of being a Rotarian for uh, many years. I have been a member of Rotary in Albany, Doherty County, Georgia, as well as in Charlotte, North Carolina, and now a member of the Augusta Rotary Club. And I know Rotary is sort of a mystery to uh, some. Um, I want you to know that primarily we are a service and civic organization. Uh, we have an annual speech contest. I am on the committee that is doing that. And uh, this speech contest will take place on February 22nd. All Richmond and Columbia County public, private, and homeschool high school students are eligible to participate. 
Each speech is limited to three to four minutes on the student's choice of one of two topics, either the Rotary four-way test or Rotary International's theme for 2021, which is Rotary Opens Opportunities. If you are interested, if you know a high school student who is interested, uh, we ask them to go to rotary.org for ideas regarding these topics. Now, the most important piece, local winners will receive cash awards of $1,000 for first place and $500 for second place. Both local winners will then compete for an opportunity to receive another $1,000 scholarship at the Rotary Zone level. Our Zone winner will also present his or her speech in late April 2021 at the Rotary District Conference in Valdosta. The deadline for registration is February 15th. Contact your school guidance counselor for further information or send inquiries to Augusta Rotary Speech Contest at gmail.com. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net, because local matters.